one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. Fun Friday episode ahead. By the way, happy birthday to my producer, Matt. Matt, we hired, we brought him on to start a college football season. He has been a godsend. He has helped with our social media. He's helped improve our YouTube. He's helped improve this podcast. So happy birthday, Matt. Thank you. Enjoy the weekend. Be ready for work on Sunday night. And I hope everybody is ready for a fun episode here of the Friday edition of the Aaron Torres pod. Bluntly, you know what we're going to talk about. Mega college football weekend. So many big games here in week 10. LSU, Bama, Bedlam, Texas, Kansas State. Georgia, Missouri, Clemson, Notre Dame. I'm forgetting a bunch. Washington, USC. So many big games. We are going to dive into them all. From there, a very quick break. We will then get you updated on the latest at Michigan. I know many of you are tired of this story, but I'm telling you, there's a new twist every day. The latest. The other 13 Big Ten schools are trying to get the league to punish Michigan, even if the NCAA won't. Will it happen? Will it not? We will discuss that. And then finally, we'll wrap with America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. The segment that I get more feedback on than anything I do. You guys hate when I get stuff wrong, and we will wrap the show as we always do there. Thank you guys and girls for your support. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe. Obviously, if you're on Apple or Spotify, subscribe there. But listen, it's Friday. You're busy. There is no more time to waste. So let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, we have ourselves a jam-packed weekend in college football. Listen, I didn't want to be the one to tell you, last weekend wasn't that great, though. I mean, Utah, Oregon, Florida, Georgia, but there really wasn't that much on the docket. This week, it's the exact opposite. We have so much to get into. Uh, And quickly, like, like, if you want the detailed seven, eight, nine-minute breakdowns, make sure to find the College Football Betting Podcast. I do that every Thursday Apple, Spotify, we have a separate YouTube channel for that as well. But I do just want to quickly on the Aaron Torres pod, rip through the big seven, eight, nine, ten games of the weekend because there are so many to get to. I'll give you my official picks on and on. Let's start. There's only one place to start the first weekend in November, and it is very simply LSU Bama. There's always a lot on the line, and there is obviously quite a bit on the line in this one. As I listen, if Alabama wins, they have a pathway to win the SEC West this weekend. Now, Ole Miss would have to lose to Texas AM. I don't think they will. But these are two top 15 teams in the new uh, you know, college football playoff rankings. There's always a lot at stake. And obviously, it feels like if Alabama wins this, they're pretty much going to Atlanta and they're probably playing Georgia to go to the college football playoff. LSU, by the way, has been playing much better since that second loss to Ole Miss. They have won four in a row. So this is a big game, an important game. And what stands out to me about this one, very interesting. This really does feel like, to me, one of the most extreme styles make fights type games that we have had in college football this year. These two teams, huge brands, huge coaches, ton of success. Yet this specific season, they're doing things completely differently. And what stands out from the LSU, let's start with LSU, because 
I'll say this. Like Brian Kelly, we've talked about Nick Saban and his evolution throughout this season and, and, and the coaching job that he's doing, changing things up. Brian Kelly deserves all the bit, the same amount of credit. Because when you think about Brian Kelly, Notre Dame, what do you think about? Run game, O-line, defense, low scoring. You know that LSU is the number one scoring offense and the number one total offense in college football coming into this game. That's right. It's not USC. It's not Washington. It's not Tennessee. Pick the best offense that you know. It is LSU this year. And this is part of the reason why Brian Kelly came to LSU, right? It was to, to, to coach the caliber of players that could put up 45 points a game. That's exactly what Jaden Daniels is doing. Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas are the best wide receiver pair that I have seen in college football this year. And I've said for weeks, I have said, I believe Jaden Daniels should be in the Heisman Trophy contention because yes, LSU is six and two coming into this game. They'd probably be about four and four, maybe three and five if they were getting even average quarterback play. Because let's be honest, that defense is not very good. You don't need me to tell you, but the stats kind of back it up. The stats have since day one backed it up. This this team just gives up a lot of yards, a lot of points. Started on opening night, 41 points given up to Florida State. From there, it really hasn't gotten better. 39 a few weeks ago to Missouri. Um, You know, you go on and on down the list, 56 to Ole Miss. Uh, uh, You know, 31 to Arkansas. It's just been a long season for that defense. And here's the scary part for LSU. Coming into this week, usually out of a bye, you're refreshed, you're recharged. LSU is the opposite. Makai Wingo, one of their star defensive linemen, is hurt, likely out for the year. I saw Brian Kelly say six weeks for that injury. That doesn't He's probably not coming back this year. And then two defensive backs, Deuce Chestnut and, and Denver Harris. Brian Kelly didn't call them suspended, but he said they're not practicing and they won't be available for this game. That sounds like a freaking suspension to me. So offense is elite, defense is not. And then you have Alabama, which is the exact opposite. Nick Saban has gone back to, you know, back to the old days, back to the drawing board. He has an elite defense, great run game, and the quarterback is doing enough to win. Jalen Milrow isn't Tua. He's not Bryce Young. He's not Mac Jones. We've talked about this, and that's okay. But he is leading this team to wins. He is leading this team to success, and this defense is the difference. I just gave you the defensive stats on LSU. How about Bama? Last three games, and I think this is important. You're playing good teams now. The last three, let me say this, the last three SEC games, well, the last four SEC games, 10 points to Ole Miss, 17 to Mississippi State, 20 to A&M, 21 to Arkansas, 20 to Tennessee. So you go back, take out that Texas game, and even in the Texas game, remember, Alabama led going into the fourth quarter. They had given up just 10 points going into the fourth quarter. The dam broke. The offense couldn't stay on the field. The defense eventually wore down. But outside of the Texas game, Alabama has not given up more than 21 points all season. And this is maybe my favorite stat. In the three big wins, A&M on the road, Ole Miss at home, Tennessee at home. Alabama has given up a combined six points in the second half. That is incredible. It is a testament to Kevin Steele. And ultimately, as we get to the pick, it's why I think Alabama wins this game. Listen, LSU, they're going to move the ball. They're going to put up points. But a couple things stand out about this Alabama team. One, LSU, you know, they face good defenses, but Ole Miss is an elite. Uh, Missouri is good, but not elite. Uh, you go on and on down the list. The best defense they faced was Florida State. They got blown out of the building. Now, I think to LSU's credit, they are a better football team. 
But I guess my question is, how much better are they really? Defense is not very good. And I think even when you look at the totality, coming into this game, I'll be honest, right? And I said this on the college football betting pod. Like, I kind of thought, oh, LSU has been playing really well the last couple of weeks. Well, look at the schedule. Three games ago, they probably should have lost to Missouri. They definitely should have lost to Missouri. Then they beat a bad Auburn team at home and they beat Army. And then they had a bye. So it feels like they're getting better. But are they really or did they just hit a soft spot of the schedule? We will find out on Saturday. As far as the pick, I am going to take Alabama. Now, on a confidence scale, I will not say I am very confident in this. I will say Alabama wins 27-21. Don't feel great about it. I think from a betting perspective, it's kind of important to note DraftKings Sportsbook by the way, we talk about it all the time, but uh, new customers, you can bet $5 on any game, get 200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the promo code Torres. But when Vegas, when DraftKings have a line where a home team is favored by three, that essentially means that Vegas thinks they're even. So I don't have a ton of confidence, but I think the combination of a beat up defense, a not very good defense, and this Alabama team is resilient. Remember, they trailed at the half against Texas A&M. They trailed at the half against Tennessee, came back to win both games. I like Bama to win. I like them to cover. Let's keep it going. Let's go out West. Very interesting game. Washington at USC. Washington, a three-point favorite coming in. And this is a very interesting game between two very interesting teams. Washington, we know. Only undefeated team in the Pac-12 had that huge win against Oregon three weeks ago. They're now number five in the college football playoff rankings. Problem is they haven't really played very well the last two weeks, okay? Two weeks ago, so they beat Oregon three weeks ago. Two weeks ago, they play Arizona State at home. They end up winning 16-7 to to a bad Arizona State team. The only touchdown they score was on a pick six. They had under 300 yards of total offense. Not exactly the high-flying attack that you expect from Washington. Last week, it wasn't much better. Stanford, they win, but it was 28-26 going into the fourth quarter. They held, hold on. So two bad games since Oregon, and it is worth noting, even in the Oregon game, they actually got outgained. Oregon outgained them, Washington won. So it's not often, I can't think of very many times, a team has been outgained three straight times coming into a game and went 3-0 and in all those games, unless they have an elite defense, which Washington doesn't. USC, you know the narrative on USC by now, we've talked about it a ton. But two, it, they were on a two-game losing streak. Last week they played Cal. Um, and that game was wild. That game was wild. It was crazy because, you know, Jake Vegas, who writes for us at AaronTorresOnline.com, he's a Pac-12 guy. He texts me. He says, Torres, you watching this game? And I didn't have it on. USC was down 28 to 17. And I turned it on. It was on Pac-12 Network. Yes, I'm one of seven people in America that gets Pac-12 Network. I turn it on. And I want to say something that's going to be unpopular. Everybody wants to criticize USC. Lincoln Riley's leaving. Caleb Williams is opting out. I thought USC actually showed some resilience in that game. They trailed by 11 at the half. And what was interesting about that game, if you were watching closely, going into the half, the final play of the first half, USC gets a first down in the red zone. The clock expires. They go to halftime. Then, of course, because it's the Pac-12, the refs realize there should have been a second on the clock. Okay, so USC is trailing by 11 at that point. They come out of the second half. They're allowed to kick a field goal. They miss the field goal. So even coming out of the halftime, you'd think there'd be some momentum, and there wasn't. And so they rally, they win the game, and I'm by no means saying that the defense played well. But in the second half, they did force a bunch of punts, they did force two turnovers, and remember, that was how USC won games last year. 
great offense and a defense that forced a bunch of turnovers. They forced four last week. And going into this game, I'm going to be honest. I like Caleb Williams. I like USC. One, Washington is not playing well. Like, you cannot debate that. Even a Washington fan wouldn't say that. But two, I think everybody's given up on USC. And I think if Washington's a step slow, they're not playing at their best. This is a game where I could see USC forcing two, three, four turnovers and making it interesting. From the offensive side, when USC has the ball, everybody gave up on Caleb Williams. You know, and I'll say this. Everybody was saying, oh, Caleb Williams needs to opt out. And I'll be honest, I even said it on this show. You know, if Caleb Williams and USC went out, they're playing for a Pac-12 title. And I would add this too. Caleb Williams, if 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 he wins the next three games, that'd be a head-to-head win over Michael Penix, a head-to-head win over Bo Nix because they play Oregon next week. I think you're probably talking about Caleb Williams as your Heisman Trophy winner if USC wins out. A lot has to happen, but I look at this USC team. I thought they showed resilience on defense. And I thought on offense, they're going up against a team that uh, Washington's defense isn't good. In in the hundreds nationally, um, they get a pass because the offense is so good. I expect USC to get the win at home, shake up the playoff picture a little bit. Obviously, that would be Washington's first loss in league play. Oregon-USC next week then essentially becomes a de facto elimination game in the Pac-12 title race. That game is in Eugene. I like USC to win. Let's keep it going. A couple more games that are worth noting. You know, this isn't a top 25 matchup, which is crazy. But Notre Dame going to Clemson. By the way, it's crazy. I got a buddy who works in that media market. Uh, One of my best friends, as a matter of fact. He invited me down for the game. We were going to all go get together, get families together, tailgate. We were planning it in, you know, June, July, August. And then we kind of saw the ticket prices and the, uh, you know, whatever, the the, the parking. And we decided against it. Thank freaking goodness, because Clemson is not good. Clemson is four and four. Notre Dame is six and two. They're coming off a bye. They're seven and two, as a matter of fact. Uh, Whatever, six and two, seven and two, whatever. Notre Dame is a slight road favorite. And it's interesting because we know the narrative on Clemson. Dabo, tough week, back and forth with Tyler from Spartanburg, which we talked about on Wednesday's show. But I'll also say this. Of Dabo, of Clemson's four losses, three of them have been on the road. The only home loss was to Florida State in a game that they largely outplayed them. And I do think there is a scenario. I can see it where Dabo rallies the troops. It's a noon kickoff. Everybody's doubting you. Nobody believes in you. And you get the victory. I'm not picking it because I don't really know what the pathway is. The problem for Clemson, they can't throw the football. They're not very good. They're just, I mean, they're not very good offensively. Bottom line, end of story. I can sugarcoat it all I want. It's the truth. They're not very good offensively. Cade Klubnick has not been good at quarterback. And I don't know if that's because his O-line can't block and he doesn't have elite receivers or he is just not good. Well, this Notre Dame pass defense is one of the best pass defenses in the country. And they're, of course, coming off a bye. So I'd like to give you the big, strong, bold take. But to me, this is kind of a stay away. I'm going to watch this one. I'm going to enjoy it. That noon Eastern window is loaded, by the way. Uh, but I can't actually bet this game because this is a game that I, I think Dabo could rally the troops, but I would have to take Notre Dame to when I just uh, Clemson is not very good right now. They are not very good. A couple other games that are worth noting. Let's go to the big 12. And I said this earlier in the week, and I truly believe it. We have Bedlam, Oklahoma at Oklahoma State, 3.30 Eastern time on ABC. And what I said earlier this week is, I think you can legitimately argue that Oklahoma, Oklahoma State is the most, it will be the most hostile environment that any road team, Oklahoma is on the road. 
that any road team will play in in college football this year. Let me explain why. We have a lot of realignment going on across college sports, right? But at the end of the day, think about how Oklahoma, Oklahoma State went down. Like in the Pac-12, everybody's leaving. Everybody's going somewhere else except for Washington State and Oregon State. Kind of like your last day of high school. You say goodbye, you hug, you wish you, I wish you luck along the way. Some of us are going to the local college. Some of us are going here, whatever. The Big 12, that was not the situation. Texas and Oklahoma left high and dry. Problem is everybody hates Texas. Well, Oklahoma, their biggest rival is Oklahoma State. And in previous iterations of realignment, we all kind of thought that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State were tied at the hip. Remember, in the early 2010s, when the PAC then, the PAC 10 wanted to expand, it was foregone conclusion. If Oklahoma goes, they're not going without Oklahoma State. So when Oklahoma left for the SEC, that was shocking. And bluntly, Oklahoma left Oklahoma State left for dead, okay? It's easy to forget this now. Nobody thought the Big 12 was going to survive when all that happened. You had politicians trying to write letters and file lawsuits on behalf of Oklahoma State it was really ugly. Well, Oklahoma State survived, and now check this out. You know that these two teams are tied for first place in the Big 12? This is kind of a crazy stat. We are through more than halfway through the conference season. Five-way tie atop the Big 12 right now as Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and Iowa State all have one loss. So this is a big game. Oklahoma is obviously coming off the loss last week to Kansas. And the thing that concerns me if I'm an Oklahoma fan, Kansas didn't do anything amazing. It wasn't like Oklahoma turned the ball over six times. It wasn't like somebody got hurt. It, there was weird weather, but both teams had to deal with it. That's what would concern me. As a matter of fact, Kansas had to deal with more adversity. They were playing their backup quarterback, Jason Bean. And so I look at this game. I look at the fact that, by the way, if you do not know the name Ali Gordon, great name, by the way, Ali and, you know, I used to have a neighbor with a dog named Ali. So, you know, I, I got a soft spot for that. Actually, it was my roommate, but whatever. Neither here nor there. Ali Gordon is a monster, okay? Last week against Cincinnati, 25 carries, 271 yards rushing, two touchdowns. Week before, 29 carries, 282 yards, four touchdowns. He's now had five, five straight games with 100-plus yards rushing. During that stretch, he had one game where he had 100-plus yards rushing and 100 yards receiving. And I actually think Oklahoma State is one of the great stories in college football because this was a program that lost a ton of players to the portal. Spencer Sanders, their starting quarterback, went to Ole Miss. Their two best wide receivers leave. A defensive lineman actually left for Oklahoma. Uh, their best linebacker goes to USC. And Oklahoma State just keeps on chugging along. As far as a game, as far as a pick, I would lean Oklahoma State. They are a six-point home underdog, and that just feels like too much to me. I don't think Oklahoma's playing very well right now. And more importantly, I think Oklahoma State has a lot to prove. They're at home. I didn't make it one of my official picks, but give me Oklahoma State plus the six. Let's stay with that other big Big 12 game, Kansas State at Texas. Another game. Again, there's five teams in the Big 12, all with one loss in league play. Two of them play in Stillwater. Two of them play in Austin, Kansas State against Texas. Big one here, Texas does not have Quinn Ewers, and it looks like he's not going to be back for the foreseeable future. If you watch the Texas game against BYU last week, it is very clear that Steve Sarkeesian does not trust Malik Murphy, the backup, in the same way that he does Quinn Ewers. Uh, Texas had a, a, um, Texas had a uh, special teams touchdown in that game. 
And then outside of that, they ran the ball 35 times all while rushing for, or all while passing for just 25 pass attempts. And so I bring it up because Sark does not want Malik Murphy to beat him. And my concern, if I'm a Texas fan, so Texas, they want to run the football. The problem is that Kansas state has an elite run defense, top 20 nationally. And then on the other side, Kansas state has the best run offense in the big 12 fifth nationally in the country. Five senior offensive linemen at Kansas State for the reigning Big 12 champs. Remember, they won the Big 12 last year. And so when I look at this game, what I would say is this. The the spread, Texas is a four-point favorite. The over-under in this game is set at 69, uh, 49, excuse me, 49. If I had to make a bet, I would actually take the under because both these teams want to run the football both of these run defenses are really good. I don't think either quarterback is going to be put in a position to to uh, have to win the game or put the team on the shoulders. This is going to be low scoring. This is going to be 2017 one way or the other. I expect low scoring. Quickly, we'll rip through a couple other games. Uh, not going to spend much time on these. Missouri at Georgia. Georgia's a 15 and a half point favorite. Listen, Georgia's going to win this game. But I do believe that the narrative on Georgia, it swings too far one way or the other. When Georgia lost Brock Bowers, oh, they're done, and could Florida give them a game? And I said on this show last week, no, no, no. Georgia's going to destroy Florida. That's exactly what happened. Well, this week it's like, oh, my God, they don't even need Brock Bowers. They're incredible. And I'm like, they're really good, but they're not. like, like They're a very good team. I don't think Missouri is going between the hedges and winning. But can I see the scenario where Missouri, where it's 31-21? Missouri's a good team. Brady Cook is an underrated quarterback, 70% completion percentage, and their three best wide receivers are all former big-time recruits. Luther Burden was the number one uh, wide receiver in his class two years ago. Theo Wees is a former five-star, started his career at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley. Mookie Cooper, former four-star, started his career at Ohio State. When your three starting wide receivers, your three best wide receivers, Luther Burden, five-star, everybody wanted him. Theo Wee started with Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. Mookie Cooper started with Ryan Day in Ohio State. That is a deep receiving core. The defense is good enough. Give me Georgia to win. Give me Missouri to cover in that game. Also in the SEC, Texas A&M and Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a three-point favorite. This is the most confusing line in the world to me. Listen, I, I like Chippo Fisher. I, I mean, I, like I just feel bad at this point. But what has he done to, to, to make this a one-possession game on the road? Remember, Texas A&M has lost eight straight road games. Eight straight road games. And on top of that, they've not only lost eight straight road games, Jimbo Fisher has yet to beat a top 25 team on the road since he got to Texas A&M. So now it's all going to change? I just don't see it. He doesn't trust Max Johnson. The team really didn't look that much better coming out of their bye last week. The defense is awesome, and I think the defense can keep it close. But I think Ole Miss has 28 points. I think that's enough for them to win. I also like the under in that one as well. By the way, all my picks at Aaron Torres online.com. Uh, quickly, others, other uh, other you know games and scores and stuff like that. Kentucky at Mississippi State. Kentucky's a three-point favorite. Cannot bet that. Kentucky has not won in Starkville since I believe 2008 is the stat. Uh, uh, Arkansas at Florida, Florida is a six point favorite, cannot bet the hogs can't bet this game period, because I think Arkansas should be improved after they fired their offensive coordinator. I think it's a little hard to, to expect them 
to go on the road and get the win, though. But I could see it. I'm not saying it will happen, but I could see it. In the Pac-12, really interesting one. UCLA at Arizona. Arizona back-to-back big wins uh, over um, back-to-back big wins over Washington State and Oregon State. Ultimately, though, I do think that probably it is a UCLA win. That offense has been much better since they changed the quarterbacks a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Oh, I got a little upset special for you. Just keep an eye, just keep an eye on this one. Noon Eastern, Jacksonville State at South Carolina. Jacksonville State, first of all, first ever matchup, I have to assume Gamecocks versus Gamecocks. It's a Jacksonville State Gamecocks of Alabama. Do you remember who coaches at Jacksonville State, though? little guy named Rich Rodriguez. You probably forgot that. Well, Rich Rod is doing Rich Rod things. They're six and two. He was nine and two last year. They're in the transition to the FBS. So they're not eligible for a bowl game. So this is kind of their bowl game. They run the ball very well. South Carolina can't stop anybody doing anything. I don't know if my Jacksonville State Gamecocks have enough to get the dub, but do I think they can keep it close? I absolutely do. You know what this reminds me of? Arkansas fans cover yours. Last year, Liberty goes to Arkansas late in the year. Hugh Freeze, you're starting to hear buzz. Could he be a candidate at Auburn? Goes out and gets that win. It kind of solidifies, okay, this guy's ready for the big boy jobs again. Gets the Auburn job. Rich Rod, West Virginia may be opening. Could he use this to springboard that West Virginia job? It remains to be seen, but I think that upset could happen. Again, all my picks at AaronTorresOnline.com. All my picks courtesy of DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break, come back. When we come back, we're going to switch gears. There's an update at Michigan, and it is a juicy one. Quick break, discuss that next. We'll be right back. Thank you, everybody, as always, for your support of the Aaron Torres Pod and Aaron Torres Pod YouTube channel. And we have a major announcement as legal sports betting is now in the state of Kentucky. That is right. The Aaron Torres Pod and Aaron Torres Pod YouTube has partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook app. And here is the best part. DraftKings has an incredible offer for listeners of the Aaron Torres Pod who are first-time customers with DraftKings. This is the deal. Here is what you need to know. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Bet $5 on any game, just $5, and you get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the promo code TORUS. That's right. It's that simple. Again, first-time customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Bet $5 on any game, pro, college, any sport you want, and get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the code TORUS. Thank you to our new partners, DraftKings Sportsbook. Thrilled to be working with them. Take advantage of their offer. I'm back. Gonna be back. Gonna be back. I do want to switch gears. And as we've done basically pretty much every episode of the Aaron Torres pod here over the last couple weeks, I want to go ahead and give the latest on the Michigan football scandal. And it's interesting because, you know, I've got a lot of this the last couple weeks. Torres, nobody cares. You guys in the media are going out of your way to overplay this. Nobody cares. I would actually say it's the exact opposite. I think more people care than anybody realizes. I'm doing radio interviews in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and Little Rock, Arkansas, and College Station, Texas. This is all anybody wants to talk about. It's new. It's different. Um, It involves the team that we all thought was the best team in college football. Now none of us know exactly what to think of them. 
And so I bring it up because it's fascinating. There's always a new layer and it's not black and white. There's not an easy, this is right. This is wrong. This was this, this was like, it's complicated. It's layered, it's nuanced. And there's always new information coming out. And so it's interesting because the latest new information was actually something we talked about here on the pod last week. And I want to take a minute and give you guys and girls credit because when you actively, it's a little pat on the back, a little humble brag. When you actively choose to listen to the Aaron Torres pod and Aaron Torres pod YouTube, we talk about stuff and tell you about stuff days in advance, weeks in advance, stuff that nobody else is talking about. And then it comes out two, three, four, five, six days later. It happens all the time. No big deal. It's what I do. I don't really care if I get credit or not. But remember, last Friday, we talked about the latest piece of news in this Michigan scandal. Last Friday, the NCAA was on campus with Michigan. And a lot of people ask me, Torres, what's going to happen? Can the NCAA do anything? So the NCAA can't really do anything because the NCAA procedures are pretty straightforward. They have to write up what's called a notice of allegations after they do the investigation. And even if they did that in record time, Michigan has 90 days to respond to it. And so nothing from the NCAA perspective can happen this year. But if you go back to Friday's show and listen to what I said, I said bluntly, I said the thing that nobody's talking about, the Big Ten could decide to come in and punish Michigan unilaterally of the NCAA. They don't need to wait. They don't need to collect data. They don't need nine to give Michigan 90 days to respond. If they feel like something has been done wrong, they can come in and essentially say, hey, guys, we we believe you, you screwed with sportsmanship. You screwed with the integrity of this conference. We don't want you representing us in the postseason, in a bowl game, in the playoff, pretty much anything. And I said last week, I said, I don't think the Big Ten is actually going to do that. But they have the ability to, and I said, I guarantee you, they are going to get pressure from other schools to do exactly that. And so why do I bring it up? What is the latest twist? Oh, I don't know. Literally that exact same thing came out on late Wednesday. Pete Thamel, great reporter, not criticizing him because he just, maybe he just listens to the Eratoris pod. I don't know. But he put out a report that on Wednesday afternoon, the Big Ten coaches got on a call. They did the, the normal thing. Then Harbaugh was asked to leave. And basically over the next hour, basically everybody just tore Michigan to shreds. And essentially the gist of the call was the Big Ten's other 13 schools trying to pressure the new Big Ten commissioner, Tony Petiti, into punishing Michigan, saying you don't have to wait for the NCAA. You can do it yourself. Here is a direct quote from Pete Thamel's article. It said, collectively, the coaches want the Big Ten to act right now. A source familiar with the call said, what are we waiting on? We know what happened. So basically, it's exactly what I told you, is the Big Ten coaches are trying to pressure the new uh, commissioner, Tony Petiti, to make a move, punish Michigan, and make sure that they don't represent uh, the Big Ten in the college football playoff postseason, whatever. So now the question becomes, is anything going to happen? Is the Big Ten actually going to have the guts to do it? Should they even do it? And that's what I want to talk about now. Bluntly, I'll be honest. I don't think Tony Petiti is going to do anything. And as a matter of fact, I'll take it a step further. As of a week ago, I'm certain he wasn't going to do anything. Because after I talked about it on the show on Friday, and even before, I, you know, I made a few phone calls, people in the know and the Big Ten kind of footprint. What they told me is Petiti has no real interest in doing this, right? He's a brand new commissioner. He took the job in the summer. He's not from college sports. He's trying to get into the landscape of college football and college sports. Keep in mind, this is all going on. While the Big Ten is set to integrate four new teams, USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon over the next couple months, Um, they got schedules, they got travel, they got logistics, 
He has 18, 19, 20 sports under his watch. And oh, by the way, Michigan is still a great team. We don't know how much this is impacting their success. And like, it's good. Like if they're really good and they go to the college football playoff and they win, that's great for the Big Ten. So I don't think he wants to get involved. I don't think he will get involved. But I will say, I think it's going to get interesting over the next couple of weeks. And I actually think the most important thing that could happen in this investigation, in this whole this whole part of it, is what happens when Michigan actually takes the field? Because it's interesting. I was thinking about this over the last couple of days. Michigan, usually when you get a buy in week eight, week nine, week 10, it's a good thing. Recharge the batteries. Nick Saban actually said it earlier this week. He said, we needed the buy. I love having the buy late in the year. It just gives us a chance to recharge. It was actually the worst possible thing that could have happened to Michigan. Because when you look at Michigan, I mean, think about it. This scandal basically breaks like a day before the, the Michigan State game. Then they go into the bye last week, and every single day there's a new story. The Washington Post story, the ESPN story. They're buying tickets in the Big Ten. They're buying tickets in the SEC. Uh, you know, Connor Stallions, that profile comes out. Every single day there's a new twist to this narrative, and they can't get back on the field and change the narrative in a good or bad way. And so a lot of whether I think the, 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 there's anything that's really going to come of this, the Big Ten schools wanting the Big Ten to investigate, I think it really just depends on how Michigan looks on the field. And I think one of two things is going to happen, and it's going to work out well for one side or the other. Either Michigan is going to come back out, kick the crap out of everybody, win the Big Ten, and then at that point, there really isn't much anybody can say, right? Because at this point, you can argue, you know, that the the Nebraska game was tainted and the, uh, you know, the Minnesota game was tainted, whatever. But you can't sit there and say, like, uh, you know, that 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 that's why they beat Penn State and Ohio State. Connor Stallions is gone. Nobody's scouting anybody in person from the Michigan perspective. And oh, by the way, they're not stealing your sides either. And if you were dumb enough not to change your signs, that's on you. So if they come out and they win the Ohio State game and the Penn State game a week from now. Well, uh, what, what are you going to say? They're the better team. They deserve to win. Good for them. Like, if you're, if you're Penn State and you can't beat them, maybe it's just because they're better than you. If you're Ohio State and you can't beat them, it's because they're better than you. I also think the opposite could happen as well. If Michigan loses, this whole story from the Big Ten's perspective goes away. I don't think Minnesota people really care if Minnesota's mad that Michigan, Michigan destroyed them. If Ohio State wins, then they're the best team in the Big Ten. We all make fun of Harbaugh. And, like, I'm not going to make fun of Harbaugh, but, like, that's going to be the narrative on social media. He couldn't win without Connor Stallions. Connor Stallions is the secret weapon. And then this goes away. And so I think if you're Jim Harbaugh, just survive until Saturday. Now, I will say Saturday against Purdue is going to be very interesting because I, 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 I do think this narrative is going to go one of two directions depending on how things go against Purdue. One, if you beat Purdue like 52 to three, they're a 32 and a half point favorite. You beat them 52 to three, then it becomes like, they're just awesome. Like, like they didn't need Connor Stallions. They didn't need to steal signs. They're just really good. Then you get Penn State next week. Then you see how the rest of the season plays out. I'd also say the opposite, too. If that game's like 21-17 deep into the fourth quarter, you know everybody's going to be making jokes about Connor Stallions and this and that and the other thing. So if you're Michigan, you need to get back on the field and you need to change the narrative immediately. Go out there, destroy Purdue, beat Penn State, and go into the final two weeks against Maryland and against Ohio State and prove to everybody that you are the best team in the Big Ten. But if you lose, if you lose some games, then the questions start becoming, okay, it was probably with Connor Stallions. But as far as the Big Ten stuff is concerned, listen, bluntly, 
We'll see if anything changes. But once they get back on the field, I, I don't think people in the Big Ten are going to have a, a leg to stand on. They're either really good and they're going to win the conference or Connor Stallions played a bigger role and they are not good and they're going to end up not winning the conference. And we know that, you know, the last couple of years may have been fraudulent. So we will see what happens, but I don't expect anything to happen. The NCAA investigation is a different deal until further notice. I would expect Michigan to uh, Michigan to kind of chug along as they have been. All right, I just want to do take a quick break. Come back. When we come back, we will wrap the show. America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Quick break. Be right back. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap with America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. By now, you know the concept of the segment. Yes, I stole this from my buddy Colin Cowherd every single week. Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. And I decided to bring it to the Air Tours pod for one very simple reason. It is because over the course of a week, a month, a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, nobody loves giving out more hot sports takes than your boy Torres. Torres said this. Torres said that. You should have listened to Torres. Torres never shuts up. So we do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong every single week, highlighting my best takes of the week but also acknowledging that I get a lot of stuff wrong. Fun way to wrap the week every week. Let's get to it where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, where Aaron was right. So in week three of college football this year, I was watching a meaningless Ohio State Western Kentucky game. And I tweeted out, I said, look, I know it's only Western Kentucky, but this is the most complete team from Ohio State that I have seen since 2019 when they won the Big Ten with Justin Fields and Chase Young and an elite defense as well as an offense. And everybody crushed me. Every, oh, Torres, who cares? It's Western Kentucky. It doesn't matter. Well, fast forward. First college football playoff poll was released earlier this week. And who is it? Number one, Ohio State. Credit to the Buckeyes. Credit to Ryan Day. We talked about it after the Penn State game. The bottom line is this was a program that could not keep going, hoping to put up 50 points a game and not playing real defense. They have completely revamped the defense. The run game is doing much better now that Travion Henderson is back. And the pass game isn't elite, but it doesn't have to be this year. Doesn't guarantee they win a national championship. Doesn't guarantee they beat Michigan. But I am here to tell you, this is the most complete Ohio State team that they've had. And it's important this year because the quarterback play has not been as good Credit to Ryan Day for revamping this team where Aaron was wrong. All right. My Twitter mentions they blew up on Sunday because Will Levis was unbelievable for the Tennessee Titans. I know Tennessee played on Thursday night football, but let's focus on Sunday for right now. Will Levis was unfreaking believable. Okay. Listen, and, and, and where I was wrong was I didn't get it. I, I listen, I said dating back to two summers ago, what people were talking about him as the number one overall pick, I said, I don't see it. Then they they struggled last year. He was banged up. The O-line wasn't good. But at the end of the day, I said, I don't see a, a front end of the NFL type quarterback. Well, apparently I need to get my eyes checked because that guy was unbelievable on Sunday for the Tennessee Titans, of course, wearing the Houston Oilers jerseys. Four touchdown passes, super elite, big arm. Guy looked like a young John Elway out there. Can it sustain over time? I don't know but he looks like he's at least got the tools, good tools. And I'll say this too, great organization. Mike Vrabel knows what he's doing. Great front. Like, like they just have all the pieces except for the quarterback. 
And I'm genuinely intrigued. I hope he is the guy because it makes for another fascinating team in the AFC. Credit to all of you. You blew up my social media. You told me I'm an idiot. And I sure am. Let's get back to it where Aaron was right. So look, for years now, and I'm not the only one, but for years I've been saying, Dabo Sweeney, you got to get with the times, dude. Listen, I know you don't like the portal. I know you don't like NIL. I know you wish it was 2011 and guys stayed for four years and they believed in the system and they were Clemson men. But that's not the world we live in. And if you don't change, if you don't evolve, if you just flat refuse to talk to, to, to use the transfer portal, you're going to end up getting left behind and you're going to end up not being the program that you were. Well, three years now into the NIL, into transfer portal, we see what Clemson is. They are by literal definition, an average football team, a team that is four and four. And it used to be an achievement to beat Clemson. Now they just lost to a bad NC state team. Florida state just in their conference has clearly passed them. And they are so far behind everybody else at the elite levels of college football. Now, can they get back? I think so, but they just don't have enough depth. They don't have enough size. They don't have enough speed. We've said it for weeks. They look like a completely average ACC team with not enough talent around. So we'll see if Dabo figures it out in the offseason, but this is on him. He has been stubborn. He has refused to evolve, and he has officially gotten left behind. Let's get to back to it where Aaron was wrong, and let's switch to college hoops. So when Louisville fired Chris Mack a few years ago, and they hired Kenny Payne. I said, I like this hire. Alum, John Calipari assistant, elite recruiter. Kenny Payne has been a disaster at Louisville, okay? Kenny Payne has been a disaster at Louisville. They lost on Monday to a D2 team, which is why we were talking about it. And I don't know what else to say other than that I'm a freaking idiot, okay? Bottom line is, look, when the hire happened, it just it just made sense. You weren't getting a, a Bruce Pearl. He signed a contract extension. Nate Oates had a huge buyout. And so go with the alum and go with the guy that's been around college basketball, okay? I'm not always in favor of hiring the alum because sometimes guys come from the NBA and they don't really know what college hoops is about. Kenny Payne was in college basketball for 10 years at Oregon, Kentucky, et cetera. Unfortunately, it isn't working out. And the bottom line is I, I don't think this can be salvaged because I've said, or I don't know if I've even said it on this show, but it just feels like one of those situations where they went four and 28 last year. You got to be about 500 playing for at minimum an NIT berth, if not an NCAA tournament berth, to feel like there's a positive direction going. Losing to D2 teams doesn't help. And I don't see the scenario where he does enough to give his fan base confidence that he deserves a year three. So I was dead wrong on this one. I thought Kenny Payne was the guy. He is clearly not. Let's get back to it where Aaron was right. On Monday, Cooper Flag committed to Duke over UConn. Credit to Cooper Flag, and afterwards, ever said, Torres, you said he was going to UConn. No, I never said he was going to UConn. What I said is exactly how it played out the whole time. I said that Duke should be deemed the favorite, but that UConn was making a stronger push than anyone was giving them credit for. Well, what happened? He commits to Duke. Trilly Donovan, that you know, incredible social media account, puts out a detailed report on his commitment, and he said exactly what I said. He said all along, everybody thought it was Duke, 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 but UConn quietly worked in the summer, got him on campus, impressed him more than he expected, but in the end, he just couldn't say no to Duke. So congrats to Duke, an incredible player. And, and let me say this too, and I'm not saying this is the UConn guy. There's no you know moral victories in recruiting, 
But the fact that Darren Hurley got to the finish line neck and neck with Duke when Duke was perceived to be the overwhelming favorite, that is a great sign for this program, where they are and the type of calibers of players that you can get. I will say bluntly, I don't think UConn has ever signed a player as highly ranked as Cooper Flagg. I guess Andre Drummond might be the exception back in 2012. But I bring it up because even in their heyday, UConn has never been the get the number one, number two player in America school. Well, they're in the mix for Cooper Flagg. They're going to be in the mix for pretty much everybody going forward. Credit to Dan Hurley, but also credit to John Shire for getting it done. Speaking of which, where Aaron was wrong, John Shire. I had some major questions about John Shire when he was hired because what I said was, I was like, you know, I, I get that you want to keep it in-house, but it's not like he's been the assistant coach that's been there for 10 years, that knows everything, that knows everybody, or not 10 years, but 20 years, you know, knows everybody, you know, lengthy NBA career, whatever. When he was hired, I kind of just said he was kind of the next guy in line. If Jeff Capel had stayed, it probably would have been Jeff Capel. If Steve Wojciechowski had stayed, it probably would have been Steve Wojciechowski. If uh, whoever, Chris Collins had stayed a million years ago, it probably would have been Chris Collins. And so I wasn't overwhelmed by the hire. And what I said was, watch for recruiting. I said 2022 will be fine because Coach K is still coaching that team. 2020 or 20, he's still, uh, you know, coaching. 2023, most of those kids will be committed before John Shire coaches his game. I said 2024 is where you got to keep your eye out. Because that will be the year that kids have seen Duke for a year on the court. And we'll see then if John Shire can recruit. Well, you talk about being wrong. Just got the number one player in America committed. Two more five stars could be on the way here in the coming weeks. And Duke almost certainly is going to finish with the number one recruiting class in the country. And oh, by the way, they start preseason number two. So John Shire, my guy, if you're listening, I owe you an apology because Aaron was dead wrong on that. Let's wrap with a couple other ones where Aaron was right. So I saw this press release. I thought it was interesting. The Packers GM, Brian Gutekunst, put out a statement basically saying they need more time to evaluate Jordan Love. Quarterback, Packers are two and five. Where was I right on this one? Well, I said during the whole Aaron Rodgers debacle, I said, I don't care how much of a diva he is, how much of a pain in the butt he is. This reminded me of the end of the documentary, The Last Dance. You're tired of Michael. You're tired of Scotty. It's too much work. It's too much this. Listen, when you have an all-timer, you do whatever you can to hold on for dear life rather than pushing them out the door. And this is what I said at the time. I said, all these NFL teams, think about them. The Bears, the Vikings, you go on and on down the list. They spend decades trying to find the quarterback. And when you get the quarterback right, it makes everything easier. The Bron the Bengals were irrelevant until they got Joe Burrow. The Jags were irrelevant until they got Trevor Lawrence. Now they're probably two of the five Super Bowl favorites. When you have that guy, you hold on, you don't push him out the door. Well, now uh, Aaron Rodgers pushed out the door. Jordan Love is a disaster. Halfway through his first year as a starter, they're putting out statements saying they need more time to evaluate him. That is not a good sign. I was dead right on that. Finally, a really fun one where Aaron was wrong. So I know the World Series TV ratings were low, okay? But why I bring it up, is because I thought Joe Davis, the play-by-play -play man, was the breakout star of the postseason. This guy is so good at his job. But here's where Aaron was wrong. So I had just started at Fox maybe six months or so before he got hired by Fox. You go back and look it up. It was 2013, 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. And it was funny because uh, I remember he was he was when he was hired, he was the youngest play-by-play -play person ever hired in the history of, I think, network television. And Fox put out a big press release and blah, 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 blah. And I remember sitting there as a, as a young Torres. And I, I don't really get jealous of other people in the business. At least that's my stance now. 
But I remember at the time sitting there saying, why is this guy getting all the buzz? Who is this guy? Torres has been here. Show Torres some love. Well, then I heard him do about two innings or probably about a half an inning of, of Dodgers baseball that summer because he was doing Dodgers games before Vince Scully uh, retired and obviously ultimately passed away. And about half an inning in, I said, oh, this guy is like elite. Well, now he is, of course, the radio, uh, the TV voice of the World Series since Joe Buck left two years ago, and he is dynamic. He was great on the Diamondbacks Rangers call. He was great on the ALCS. I believe the ALCS was on Fox. This guy is unbelievable, the next great broadcaster, and you will forever know that Torres said, what is the big deal before he had ever heard him call a game? And then the second I did, I said, oh, yeah, this guy is good. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Inner Tour Sports Podcast. Do think it is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres pod on TikTok. We're, we're doing good over there. I just had a video blow up over there. I actually like TikTok. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you should check me out there. You should sign up for an account if you have not already, just to follow Torres. Um, but make sure you're following there. Make sure you're following on YouTube. Uh, of course, Aaron Torres on YouTube. Uh, and that's it. Thank you to our partners, DraftKings Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Bet $5 on any game. Get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the code Torres. That is, of course, for first-time customers only. I think that's all for today, and I think that's all for this week. So thank you for your guys' support. Four shows this week. Obviously, we mentioned it earlier, rest in peace, Bobby Knight. But it's been a busy week, uh, and outside of, obviously, the Bobby Knight stuff, a very fun week. So thank you for your guys' and girls' support, and it is time to go. Shout-out to Torrent Craig. Shout-out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout-out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back on Monday. New episode, Aaron Torres Podcast.